My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome as we continue our journey through the Word of God and today we're continuing through the book of 1 Corinthians and we're going to be looking at the uh, second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're going to start at verse 8 and go all the way through to the end of the chapter. Now here we have a position where Paul has really started to tell the church in Corinth, hey listen, part of the reason you've got these problems is because you're not as spiritual as you think you are and people can't even tell that you're saved by the way that you live because you kind of live fleshly lives and you really need to start living differently. And they have sent him this information, these requests. Can you tell us what we can do? Uh, it's, it's a question I get asked as a pastor all the time. So what can I do as a Christian? In other words, how close to the line of sin can I get? And Paul says, no, 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 no. And he's about to tell them, flee youthful lust, run away. Don't try and see how close you can get. See how far away you can get. And so this is where we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 3. Now, he's just here talking about the difference between Apollos and him. And some people are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And Paul says, listen, I planted, Apollos did the watering, but God gave the increase. So now he's about to continue that theme as he explains what he means to the church in Corinth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Those who plant, those who water. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So he's introducing some very interesting concepts here. Uh, he, he's trying to combat their desire to divide amongst whether they're of Paul and Apollos. He says, no, we're all the same. So stop doing that. Guzik says, how silly to say planting is what is really important. Those waterers are really missing out. Or to think watering is where it's at. Those planters better get their priorities straight. The fact is planters and waterers are both necessary. Both need each other and both are working towards the same goal, which is giving God the opportunity to bring a supernatural and miraculous increase. And everybody's going to receive a reward based on what they did. How did you do what you were meant to do? Stop looking at other people. Just do what you were called to do is what Paul's saying here. We're rewarded individually, not according to gifts, talents, or success, but according to our own labor, the efforts that we put in. Now, this is not about salvation. Remember, he's talking to Christians. They've already received salvation. He's saying, but no, there is an eternal reward for your labor. It doesn't determine how you get into heaven, but it doesn't determine what heaven's going to look like, going to look like for you. And God is the one who knows how to reward accordingly. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who's somebody I quote from a lot, is, was an old time preacher and young preachers used to ask him the question, what's the secret to your preaching success? And he would answer and say, I always say to them the same thing, work, hard work, and again, more work. <laughs> so it's always about the labor. It's always about the work. You have to work hard. Um, I know when people have said to me, you know, oh, you've seen a lot of blessing in your life. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, hard work and being a steward of whatever God's given me. And then more hard work. And then I work a little harder. 
We are God's fellow workers, Paul says. There's work to be done. There was work for Adam and Eve in the garden. There's work for you and I. It doesn't stop. God gives us this opportunity to work with him. Can you believe that? God says we are his fellow workers. In other words, we cannot work without him, and he chooses not to work without us. Isn't that amazing? He wants you and I to work alongside him. We need to work alongside him. He wants us to work alongside him. That's the difference. I think that's amazing. I really do. And the work that Paul did with God was to work on God's people. They were his field, using the picture of the farmer planting and watering. And But they were also his building, and he's now using the picture of a builder, which leads us into verse 10 of chapter 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul's always pointing people back to Jesus, nonstop. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet yet so as through fire. Now, there's a lot in this. According to the grace of God is how it all starts. In describing Paul's work among the Corinthians, he begins with this declaration of the grace of God because he knew that his own position as a worker in God's field or helping to build God's building was based on God's undeserved favor in his life, not on anything he deserved or not because of any merit. And it is an incredibly honorable position to be a fellow worker with God. But there's nothing that makes us worthy to be selected apart from our choice to be saved and be received, to receive the gift of salvation. And that's according to the grace of God. And then he says, I have laid the foundation. When Paul founded the church in, in Corinth, which you can read about in Acts chapter 18, he set the only foundation that can be laid for any church, and that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But he knew that others would come after him and build on the foundation that he had set. So he says, let each one take heed how they build on it. There's only one foundation for the church, and if it's not built on Jesus Christ, it isn't a church at all. So you can't build on any other foundation. But you can build unworthily on a foundation that is Christ. This is what Paul was warning the church against. It's why you see churches rise up and they have success and all of a sudden they're, they're doing wonderful things and people are getting saved and then things go awry and they go askew and all of a sudden things fall over. Why? Because they had an incredible foundation, but what was built on the foundation was not godly. God will test the building himself of all these fellow workers, which is why Paul says, so each one's work will become manifest. Some will build with gold, silver, precious stones. Others are going to build with unworthy materials, wood, hay, and straw. Now, Paul is 
probably referring to the different materials used in the building of the temple in First Chronicles, Old Testament, chapter 22, talking about all the things that needed to be built and used in the building. And the building is what God builds in his people with the help of his fellow workers. Precious stones is not necessarily talking about jewels, but stone materials, marble, granite. And mixing the wisdom of men with the wisdom of God in the work of building the church is like, Guzik gives us this, uh, this visual. It's like using alternate layers of marble and then having straw and hay in the middle of it and then another layer of marble. Straw might be fine and it has its place in the barn, but it's not a very good building material. Same way, human wisdom, fleshly attractions have a place in life, but not in the building of a church. And Paul says, the fire will test your work. When God tests our work, and this is what will happen in the end times, this is what when, when we go to heaven and our salvation is based on our acceptance of Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation, and then we've got to, then all the things that we've done go through the fire test and whatever passes is what we then, you know, qualify us for what our eternity in heaven is going to look like. And it's going to be revealed and the fire will destroy wood, hay, hay and straw, but it will not destroy gold, silver and precious stones. Which means that some people on that day will come out with absolutely nothing, even though they thought they've done all these great things. And it's not the amount of work that's going to be evaluated, um, and although that does have some relevance, obviously the labor, the effort that's put in. But Paul says that the work will be tested to see what sort of work it is. Is it hay? Is it precious stones? And that's going to be an ugly day, I think, for a lot of Christians, just to be honest, because I think there's a lot of people who are building a lot of hay and they're not building a lot of marble. Um, Paul also talked about this a little bit in Second Corinthians, which we'll look at later on in chapter 5, and he says, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And when our work is tested before the Lord, we will be record, rewarded according to what remains. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the church in Corinth, but he's also teaching you and me. This is what is important. And uh, it, it's it's a thought that should really cause us to reflect that there are many people who believe they are serving God, but they're doing it using unworthy materials. And they're going to come to find when it's too late in eternity that they actually did nothing for the Lord whatsoever. This is what Paul's saying, okay? This is not me trying to be mean. This is what the Bible is trying to teach you and I it's one thing to be saved, but don't waste your life after you are saved. Live according to your calling. Ah, That's what Revelation chapter 4 is all about. Paul goes on and says, He himself will be saved, yet so is through the fire, which means that some people will be saved but won't have anything else. I think that's sad. I really do. Remember, the fire test does not purify the person who did the work. It purifies what work they did. This passage, Paul's not just addressing Christian leaders here. He's addressing all the servants of God 
who say that they are fellow workers with God. So then it takes us on to verse 16. Okay. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, we have to clarify this because this verse and other verses about the temple of God get misquoted in relation to context of what they are actually talking about. Paul later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 will talk about individual Christians being temples. But here his emphasis is on the church as a whole, the body of Christ being the temple. Now, what makes a church, the church, sorry, a temple, the church, the body of Christ? It's if the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, the ancient Greek word that's used here is the word naos, N-A-O-S, And it refers to the actual sanctuary, the actual church building itself, the place of God's dwelling. It's not talking about the broader word hieron, H-I-E-R-O-N, which is just the general temple area. And he says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, if you defile the church, God will destroy you. God's church, it's his church, it's his body, it's holy. And it matters to God how we treat his holy temple. This is talking about us collectively as the body of Christ. Now, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's going to talk about you individually are also the temple of God. But he also says you, the church, the body of Christ, are the temple of God. This is what he's trying to tell the church in Corinth. Hey, listen, it's you collectively and it's you individually. I'm going to get on to you individually later, but now I'm talking about you collectively. So then he goes on here in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Paul's being a little sarcastic here. Paul often did that. The, the Corinthian church thought they were incredibly wise. That was one of their problems. They had a love of worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom. And if they are wise according to a human measure of wisdom, he's saying then you need to become a fool according to the world so that you can become wise according to God. So he says, I want you to renounce all worldly wisdom, all humanism, man-centered philosophy, even if other people call you a fool for doing that. Again, I'm going to quote Guzik here. If one is not willing to be considered a fool by those who value only human wisdom, they will never be able to truly become wise. And and I think that is a world we're living in right now, where people, Christians, are so scared to say things because they don't want to appear foolish. God has evaluated the wisdom of this world, and he considers it foolishness. So it doesn't matter whether you agree with God's evaluation or not. He's already determined what's foolish and what's wise. And what's in here is what is wise. Boom. There you go. Okay, let's let's finish off. Verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Again. Paul here continually weaving the Trinity through the book of 1 Corinthians. So he says, let no one glory in men. 
Guzik, how prone we are to glory in men. We are more excited about being with the influential and famous of this world than we are about being with God himself. We value the gift and honours of men more than the gift and honour that God gives us. How we need to hear, let no one glory in men. For all things are yours. To say that I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, was too narrow a view that Paul wanted them to have. He's saying, Paul belongs to you, Apollos belongs to you, you belong to Paul, you belong to Apollos. Uh, the universe belongs to God. You and I belong to God. It doesn't matter what we think about to whom we belong. We belong to Jesus, Christ, and Christ is God's. Even death becomes ours. It's our servant. Death is not our master. It's our servant because it's it's what enables us to enter into an eternity with Jesus Christ. You think about the angel who touched Peter in Acts chapter 12, caused his chains to fall off, led him through a gate that opened by itself into real freedom. That that's That's what God can do, true freedom. And then Paul says, as he finishes this off, he says, all are yours, all. That's the Christian freedom. We are in Christ. And we therefore have a responsibility to do what God wants us to do. Fellow workers, part of the temple, doing what God wants us to do. What, what, my observation, my observation for, for you and for me, I, I don't want to use wood hay, straw, things that are going to burn. I want to do the hard work. It's much harder to lift up a a slab of granite than it is a bale of hay. It's much easier to work and fashion straw and hay. It's much harder to work with precious materials and hard things. So we have a responsibility. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So tell me what you observe. What Personally for you, what do you get out of this? Tell me, write down in the comments below. Like, subscribe, sh- share this uh, wherever you're listening or watching. And let's get the word of God out there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us this challenge here to, to remind ourselves what is really important. And it's the calling that you've placed on our lives. And God, we thank you, Lord, that our salvation is secure in our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and a confession of him and the fact that he's been raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. But God, I pray, Lord, that our lives would go further than that, that we wouldn't just stop at salvation, but we would live in calling that has eternal significance and eternal consequences. And I pray that every single person watching this right now would just get an equipping. Lord, they get a a conviction conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, right now of what they are meant to do to get about their calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.